Inside the halls of American hospitals, millions of people find comfort, healing, and support. But for many doctors and nurses, this couldn't be further from the truth. This podcast will dive into the shadows of American healthcare to investigate and uncover the abuse, control, and political power plays that leave the very people responsible for our nation's health broken and battered. We're sharing stories of professionals in medicine that have experienced horrendous treatment at the hands of a broken system that does nothing to stop the trauma. As the Association of American Medical Colleges states, long before the Me Too movement, women in medicine have instinctively banded together to counter a culture that too often tolerated harassment. From systemic trauma to abuse of power to the unspoken rules of cover-ups and corruption, Mandy Irby and Phoebe will take you to the darkest corners of healthcare in America so you can have an inside look at bringing humanity back to medicine. Sensitive content warning. This podcast will share details of triggering subjects such as sexual assault and workplace violence. So if you aren't in a space to listen, respect your mental health and tune in again at another time. Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Pulse Check Podcast. I'm Hehe. I'm Mandy. And today we are going to be talking about consent obstetrical violence, and patient trauma. We're joined by a registered nurse, Flora, who is going to share her story of things that she has witnessed, how it was handled, and what might have been done differently to better outcomes for both staff and patients. Flora, where does your story begin? My story begins, I am an RN. Um, I always wanted to work labor and delivery. Um, I did the med surge, you know, path before I did labor and delivery because they don't ever hire a lot of times new grads in labor and delivery. Um, so when I became a labor and delivery nurse, I was super excited. You know, I did not realize the depth of what labor and delivery actually is. I don't think anybody understands the emotional roller coaster that labor and delivery is. Um, and then. I feel like I was probably a labor and delivery nurse for a while before I really understood the bad, dark side of labor and delivery and my eyes were open to the things that were going on that I did not see beforehand. Um, One of the first things I ever saw was a Hispanic patient who had had multiple deliveries beforehand, multiple beautiful deliveries beforehand, um, the doctors came in, the residents came in, and they told the patient, oh, you've only been pushing for five minutes, but you're probably tired. Let's put forceps on you. Wow. And I was outraged. I was like, the, the, the head's hanging out. She's pushed for five minutes. And they're like, yeah, but we need to learn it's a teaching hospital. I lost it. I lost it in the room, lost it, lost it. And afterwards, I had to come out to get suture because the patient had tore because we put forceps on unnecessarily. And what I was informed of was it's a teaching hospital. This is what we have to deal with. I needed to calm down. Oh, my gosh. Um, I was pissed. I was outraged. Um, still, I don't think I'm thinking of it. I don't think I've been here, been there that long. So I really didn't know 
what to do. I filled out a, a card that was like, put in a box, fill out a complaint. That was it. Um, now I know you can do a safe watch. It doesn't do deadly squad or really do much, but you can still do it. So there's paper trail. Um, Define that for us. What's a safe watch for anyone out there who is unaware? So the safe watch is where you go in and you put what happened. Was there any injury? Do you want to report anonymous? Um, things like that. And that's an internal system. Internal reporting. System. That's not an external medical board reporting or state reporting. Okay. And can I ask a quick question? By lost it, what was your, and you don't have to answer this because I know it might feel like you're going back to that day, but were you, what did lost it feel like for you or look like for you? Oh, I went out to the nurse station and said, this is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> And that's when I was starting to calm down. So, yeah, it felt like they were prioritizing, maybe the staff were prioritizing medical education over the risk for the patient. Is is that what you're feeling? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, a patient who had multiple babies should not be coming out with a secondary tear who had never tore before. Right? When you're putting shoving forceps up in her. For no reason. There's, there are reasons for doing things like that. And then just because it's a teaching hospital is not a reason. So that was the reason that they gave you. Was that the reason they gave the patient? But they told the patient they thought she was tired, so this would make it easier on her. And was there um, any other barrier to um, that communication or, or what information was passed to the patient? She spoke English. And there was no translator or nothing even. And what did you feel like from your shoes? You must have felt so torn witnessing this because you knew something was, was being done wrong, but also you weren't able to speak up in that moment. Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like it's a daily battle we have because you want to say, okay, can we stop this? This is stupid but also need a job. <laughs> so, it's so hard because you know it's ridiculous and you want to be like, she's not tired. Like, Did you feel like, like when they said, calm down, this is what we do here, that your job was at risk? A person who said it would probably write me up. That would reflect poorly in your review. Yeah, and continued employment. Okay. Had you seen anyone fired for um, speaking up about something like this in the teaching hospital? Like, you know, in, in interrupting the teaching process. God, is that a teaching process? Um, interrupting the quote, air, air quote, teaching process in the past. Had you seen that people leave or be fired for that? I think people leave because of the junk we do. But see by fire now. Okay. Wow. That's incredible. You can see how it really is just cancerous to the entire um, unit culture. Like it, it causes people to leave. It causes people to quote unquote lose it. Although your definition of lose it is incredibly tame compared to what, what I, <laughs> I do want to add. And I really appreciate these 
the story, however, it is difficult to hear and imagine that that's, that happens. Um, and I could hear the, the pain in your voice and I can hear the upset still. And perhaps there's more to that of, you know, in my, in my situation, I've definitely felt for a long, long, long time, like, what should I have done? What could I have done? What did this person want from me? What, you know, what sort of advocacy was I able to do there? Did I feel like I was unsafe or was I really unsafe? But I can totally relate to that feeling of your job being on the line, which is nuts. I don't necessarily think I've seen anyone like get a pink slip and be escorted out for advocating for a patient at the bedside, but it sure does like that. Is that a story that we're told? It sure does go back to that where a lot of people, a lot of nurses feel like that's a threat and that's a possibility, even though we've never seen it happen. Just the two of us, others may have seen it. Maybe it's like a tall tale. Maybe it's a story that's been passed down or maybe it's a threat. I feel like it's one of those things like you would get written up for your attitude and then it just like, you kind of become a target, you know, like it like starts, you know, it's that one thing, like you're going to say the one thing and you're going to get it written up for it and then it's just going to kind of. And you're kind of, you don't really know how many of those you get before they say, we're going to do, what is it, like a, there's like levels of discipline and, and then they ultimately terminate. Okay, I'll um I'll mute because if you say more, I'm here for it. So after that, um, did you know the fun labor and delivery stuff? Trying, to, you know, you try to ignore the crap. You try to, you know, be positive on the good days and enjoy the good days with the beautiful deliveries and um things like that. And then I had a um delivery that was very traumatic to my patient and myself. Um, the patient had a category three strip, had been pushing for three hours. Um, both the patient and her husband were well-educated people. They, like her dad was a doctor, like these are, you know, and we were like pushing and pushing and the doctor, despite me not being able to see anything, like nothing in my opinion, I mean, I'm not a doctor, was like, okay, we're gonna put four steps on you. So you don't have a C-section. And the patient was like, okay, great. Like, I don't really want a C-section. Let's do something so I don't have a C-section. Put the forceps on. The doctor says, okay, it's causing you too much pain. They took the forceps off. Then she said, okay, let's try a vacuum. Put the vacuum on the patient. Um, did the three two-foot pop-offs. Got rid of it. Still no head hanging out. Patient proceeded to push for 30 more minutes. Um, turned into a shoulder, turned into a postpartum hemorrhage, um, patient's baby went to NICU, um, and at the end of it, the patient, like, the patient thanked me, patient did not thank the doctor for the delivery, um, and then a little while later when I was doing, you know, postpartum, the patient looked at me and the husband looked at me and they said, that wasn't typical, was it? And I said, no, that wasn't. And she was like, that was very traumatic. I was like, yeah. I said, yes, it was. I said, and I'm sorry that it turned out that way for you. But it was traumatic. Like, I was, like, looking at, like, the doctor, like, are we really doing this? Like, yes, we don't want her to have a C-section. But what are we doing in the meantime? <laughs> it was awful. It was awful. 
And I, like, I kept that patient stripped because I was like, this is going to be a lawsuit because this is so traumatic to the patient. Like, the patient knew this was a traumatic experience. The patient knew this was nothing normal was going on. And we still just kept going. And kept going. Even when we were looking, like, even my charge nurse came in and looked at the doctor and was like, um, do you want me to open the OR? And she's like, no, 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 we're going to have a vaginal delivery. And it's like, at what cost? And it sounds like if you feel like um, you were part of that cost. Oh, yeah. Like, I feel like I stood there and just watched it happen. Yeah. And I was a bystander and let this woman go through a very traumatic experience. And her baby went through a traumatic experience. Her husband went through a traumatic experience. All the, phys- all the people in the room were in a traumatic experience. Like... There was nothing apart about that that was not traumatic to anybody in the room, except probably the physician who didn't seem like anything was wrong. <laughs> and how often do you think about that? I think about the traumatic births that I've been in, some of them on a daily basis. Oh, yeah, all the time. Like, all the time. Every time I see that physician, I'm like, is today going to be another day? Are we going to do this again? How powerful because you're acknowledging that it was a traumatic event for everyone in the room. Their own individual perspectives were all traumatic, which I think is important to to note and important for us to talk about because we put a lot of that onto the patient and onto the family like, oh, this isn't my experience. But you're absolutely holding, (laughs) holding that experience accountable for trauma that you felt and feel. And perhaps if you weren't the only person, the the only roadblock between that provider and their, you know, questionable decisions in the moment, is that your responsibility to be the roadblock to say, we're done here, right? Like, is that a nurse? Is that a nurse's? How, how, how as a nurse can you say, okay, we need to do a C-section? Like, I don't have that degree. Like, exactly. I don't have that power. Right. And even with my charger, usually, you know, usually chargers just have a little bit more power when they're saying, okay, like, we, do you want me to open, like, as a hint, okay, we need to go. And you're still saying, oh, no, we're fine. Like, there's nothing you can do. That really speaks to the culture of the healthcare professionals involved because who's directly speaking to a provider to say, can we have a minute? Can we talk about this? What's your overall game plan? Cause it just keeps snowballing and it seems unsafe. And then the, the charge nurse didn't even, she made a hint. You said she hinted. And the thing is too, like we, we see it all the time. Physicians won't come in and intervene because they say, I don't want to step on their toes. Right. I don't want to step on their toes. And it's like, but we've got people's lives at risk. Like, and you don't want to step on their toes. So there were professionals who didn't want to step on that physician's toes, but yet now every day they potentially look at that physician and think you hurt someone. And, you know, like I watched it. We talked to you. You didn't take any response from us. We didn't feel like we could even be up, up front with you. Like what kind of, what kind of relationship is that in the workspace? Yes. So you know what this points out to me is the disconnect between 
nurses and physicians. And I think the outside world doesn't see that often enough, right? And so you have these nurses that spend 90% of births with that patient. Like you guys see all the births. You see all the kinds of births. You see all the kinds of birthers. You see all the kinds of outcomes. You see all the kind of anomalies. You see all the kind of variations. You see all the kind of curveballs and plot twists. You guys see it all. That experience has got to count for something, yet you both just said, I don't have that degree. I can't call that. Okay, maybe you can't call that, but I guarantee if you lined up 10 physicians and 10 nurses, you would have more nurses that could predict more accurate outcomes of where those labors are going because you spend more time. And I say that confidently because... I see it happen in the birth room as a doula, as a not medical professional, but also a fly on the wall that understands the intricacies of medicine. And it is so clear. That's that's crazy that the cohesion that the medical culture wants consumers to believe is there is absolutely not there. And your nurses are there to advocate for you, but only until it starts to possibly cost them their job and then they can no longer advocate for you and actually do their job it's a sick and twisted web i mean we have physicians who think that nurses are useless i mean all the time like we were talking about doing student babies in a room the other day and a physician said you can do that so you can feel like you're doing something like Mm. throwing oh yeah throwing what we do under the bus and it's like do you understand what I do? Mm-mm, obviously not. Like, acting like you coming in and, and checking the cervix is getting the baby out? Like, you coming in and catching the baby is getting the baby out? No. No, that's not. It's not getting the baby out. <laughs> so, so now there's a really negative, uh, like, vibe. <laughs> negative sick and twisted web, if you will, <laughs> between coworkers, between colleagues who have to work together as a team. It's required that we work as a team. When I think of, I was just um, staying with family and we were talking about the um, cyclist racing and how they're a team, but like they win individual jerseys, but they're a team, but they only stand one person on the podium, one man on the podium yep. at a time. And I'm like, this isn't clear. Is it clear within the team what the roles are? Because on the outside, I forget they're on a team. Only one guy wins the jersey every time, you know, there's a winner. He doesn't say, yeah. I'd like to thank my team of seven who helped me do. And, and I just always take that stuff back to healthcare. And I'm like, um, yes, because the person mm-hmm. on this team that is like, stuck in this blue collar, like above poverty line cycle, but like barely can we afford childcare a lot of times, yeah. right? And our like pay level of, we are scared of losing our job and it's almost like management and our, you know, directors know that because we make a little bit more than we pay for childcare. And of course everyone's in a different situation, but I think, that we're susceptible to a lot of fear driven around our job, which really should have nothing to do with how we advocate and how we can safely do our job, which is supposed to be patient voice, patient advocacy, um, patient education, patient care, patient safety. 
it's all bullshit when you come out of the room and say, hey, I'm advocating for the patient. Something's going wrong in here. Can I have some backup that has a backbone and also enough power in this uh, power dynamic to actually have an effect on care and they send you no one and they tell you to calm down and then they threaten to write you up for insubordination and bad attitude talking about the doctor behind their back. So I think it's taking advantage of you because you're trying and you're seeing it. And it's also like snowballing incredibly harmful for you as a caring person. This is moral injury or this is um, witnessing assault or witnessing battery or witnessing, you know, um, inappropriate consenting, whatever the, this is that's really just to your core wrong and not, and also is it is it appropriately dealt with as in are you receiving the support that would help you work through this trauma and work through this situation with with the provider because the point is not that we're at odds the point is we work together as a team to benefit the patient but every time you go into work and you see this person, you remember the harm that they've caused. That's a kink in the line of communication. That's a kink in the trust factor, right? I just see this affecting so much that you say kind of, you say it kind of, this happens, this happens. But what is your institution doing if, if they know that it happens? What are they doing to kind of support the trauma that you're feeling or others are feeling or that you're bringing up that I need support in the room, but you know, the charge nurse can't even really have an effect on anything. They, I mean, I always feel like it's always physicians, you know, or God, you know, like they always say, well, it's the physician's decision. It's the physician's decision. Like, I feel like we never, like, if we have a complaint, it's always like, well, it's the physician's decision. Like they, they made this decision. So it's okay. Like, there's no thought process, or I guess I don't even know thought process. Like, there's no thought behind, okay, what's this doing to the rest of the team or morale or anything like that? It's only, like, let's protect the physicians, nurses we can get more of. You know, like, we can find more nurses. We, we can find more nurses anywhere. Like, everybody wants to be a labor and delivery nurse, but can we find a good physician? And it's like, mm, you can find a nurse, but is it a good nurse? (laughs) Yeah. And it sounds like if you have a bucket of bad physicians or at least physicians who are doing, you know, harm without like all all you would have to do is consult with another physician and be like, let me double check. All the nurses have their eyes all big. (laughs) Maybe I should talk about this with another physician, but the power (laughs) dynamic is, is interesting because it's not just physicians at, at the top of this, power totem pole within the hospital because another physician wouldn't go in and, and even like discuss, Hey, do you need a hand? Um, you know, I heard something was going on and I saw the strip or whatever. The reason would be they won't even go in the room. Yeah. I mean, we see it all the time. Like we have, I mean, I was in that room the whole time, so I'm not sure if, I know if anybody was to talk to, but I mean, we say it like a doctor or a physician will be at the desk and be like, ooh, that strip looks kind of bad. And we're like, eh. and I'm like, ah, not my patient. You know, like, <laughs> and it's like, but the strip looks awful. Like, are you going to say something? Nah, it's 
dollars. Like, okay, well, thanks for helping. What is the teamwork in that? Like where I'm so baffled that nobody would go and say, hey, have you seen room seven strip lately? You don't have to give an opinion. You don't have to say like, yo, you're paying attention. You can just like, hey, when's the last time you checked in? It's, it is, I'm not accusing you of anything. I'm not saying you're a bad doctor. I'm just simply saying, I noticed something. Are you, are you aware? Yeah, no, there's no, and I mean, I can only speak for labor delivery on this unit I'm working on because I've not worked on another labor delivery unit, but for like, I mean, they will cover back up for each other. Like, hey, I'm going to work in the kitchen, do the delivery for me if I need it. But, or like any community, like if they ask, but like, there's no teamwork of, okay, like, do you need help? Like, there's no like, yeah. coming in, checking on each other. It's only like, if the physician asks for help versus, you know, like as nurses, I'll be sitting at the desk seeing a horrible strip and I don't just go, Ah, she didn't ask for help. I'm not going to go help her. No, I will go in there and I'll help. Or some like a drive-by runs onto the unit. You know, someone about to have a baby. Do you need, like I go in and ask for help? There's not that mentality. Like they don't have that mentality of should I offer to help? It's ah, they didn't ask me. I don't need help. So Sorry. then, when you experience something awful, like if that physician, I don't know their perspective, but they might have been feeling alone and pressured and the intensity of like, they don't, they know that there's no backup. They know that no one is going to come in and provide support unless they show a weakness and call out and say, I need a second pair of eyes on this, or I need hands with me, or because I don't know if that is like, um, it, it sounds like it's kind of a taught or a culture, you know, correct in the culture behavior, but how, how, awful to go to work and just feel like you have to be this sort of person and not have buddies in your in your team you know and that's the thing we see too like we see new physicians who are starting like fresh out of you know residency coming and working for us and we're just like watching them and we're like they're like falling apart like we can see it because they went through so much trauma and I feel like, I don't know if it's taught in medical school or taught in residency, like, hey, you can't ask for help because that makes you weak. Like, it's like telling boys they kill boys they can't cry or something, you know? Like, that kind of like taught thing. And we're seeing these physicians who like, clearly have went through trauma and clearly have trauma, but are they afraid to ask for help because, you know, they'll be weak? Like, that's absurd. Like, that's an absurd mentality to teach somebody. Like I said, it's like teaching little boys they shouldn't cry. Like, it's stupid. <laughs> well, it just highlights that asking for help is something that is bad instead of good, whereas asking for help is actually really, really good. You solve the problem in your hand, and then you solve a problem that probably other people have. So now that you've figured out something that can work, you can share it with other people, and the whole unit can learn from it. And you just got your content for your next, like, you know, monthly meeting, and you had no idea what you were going to put on the agenda, right? Like, asking for help is the way that your team grows not only inward together to be stronger, but also outward to make it a better experience for everyone. And what they've done is anyone who enters that culture, they now get squashed, 
right? What if you came from a medical school that was really pro asking questions, they were pro asking for help, and you came to this and you totally get squashed? That's so hard. I know there are so many listeners out there who probably have found themselves in very similar situations of, you know, finding a total culture change that they just weren't used to. Yeah, it's, it's so toxic and it's, and I mean, I guess we kind of see it too, like working with residents, like a resident makes a mistake and they get like belittled at the nurse's station, you know, or belittled. And so then it's like, okay, so is that like teaching them, okay, you make a mistake, you get, you know, your trash, you know, like. So, because we always, I, I've talked to some physicians who went through, like, residency, you know, because they all go through residency, and they're like, yeah, it's a to- toxic environment. And it's like, okay, well, then, do we need to fix that toxic environment in residency? So then when we get physicians out, they're not going to be, you know, so scared to ask for help. It's like, okay, well, then let's fix this problem so we can have a better, like, class of physicians. I mean, it's... It's so messed up too when people who went through the system say, yeah, it's toxic. And it's like, okay, but can we fix that toxic environment so it's better for everybody else? (laughs) Well, because it's negatively impacting every single person on the team that that person works with. And it's not just patients. And the rest of the team is valuable, (laughs) right? Because it's affecting nurses. It's affecting their families. It's affecting the charge. It's affecting all of it. And he, he and I just did an episode recently on moral injury and moral distress. And I think Flora, you're giving really great, although they're also ugly examples of that in action when maybe the provider, and I, of course, we're only speaking, you know, in generalizations, we don't know what their perspective is, but perhaps they felt a sort of pressure. Perhaps they felt they didn't have another choice. Perhaps they felt scared to take this person to the OR for some reason. Like we don't know their history and we don't know why, what the push was for. I'm going to, I'm going to help this person have a vaginal birth, even though I'm going to cross some boundaries. And they felt they did the action. So they, they are doing something maybe they didn't want to do, or they know they shouldn't do, whatever that is uh, to them, doing um, four steps for education, because we don't, if that wasn't that resident's decision, then maybe they felt a sense of moral distress, because they felt a moral injury, because you're harming someone's tissues. Uh, They felt a sense of, I can't do anything else, my attending is giving me four steps into my hands, like, oh, talk about fucking toxic, that's scary as hell. So perhaps that was the situation. And then also the witness. So you as the witness being the nurse witnessing whether the patient had a traumatic experience, we don't know, but there was harm done. There was harm done to the baby in the forceps um, and vacuum situation. And then there was harm done to the parent in the forceps situation. And so the, the document that we were reading and the evidence shows that someone doing the harm or doing the yeah inappropriate behavior that they feel like they can't but do um, usually experiences shame or guilt. And then the witness often experiences resentment. And so imagine you're 
that's how your team is walking around. That physician or those residents or, you know, whomever it was that were doing the example is walking around with shame and guilt that they couldn't have said no, that they, you know, I wish I was at a better place that gave me better resources. I don't want this to be happening. Is this my job? And you look at them with resentment every time. Oh my gosh. Y'all are on two different islands trying to do the same thing, but not really with different goals. And sounds like some pretty messed up support in the background. Like physicians aren't going to run in and be like, oh, let me give them a hand because I know they experienced something traumatic the other day. Like sometimes maybe, but that's an internalized shame and guilt. So it's not like they put a patch on their shoulder and they're like, I need help next time. And then the nurses or the, you know, the witness in your case, you know that you go to your management and they're going to say, calm down or I'm going to write you up. Stop talking back. What is that? It's such a weird twisted like circle, you know, like it's so sad that that's medical field, you know, because everyone sees, you know, like I said, going into labor and delivery, you think it's going to be this magical rainbows and butterflies, and then you get in it, and you're like, oh, there's much more to this than I realized. You know? And... And it sounds like a lot of unhappy people. <laughs> and what a great experience to experience with others. Like, the privilege to be at birth, and the privilege to possibly be with a team of people that you really do life or death with. And we do have, I mean, we do see the most beautiful deliveries where, like, the dad's crying and the mom's crying and everyone's crying and it's, like, beautiful and sweet. And it's like, okay, I've got to remember those good times because if you just remember the bad times, it'll swallow you whole. I mean, it would easily swallow you whole because it's some, because those good days are really good, but those bad days are really bad, especially when you're thinking it's a mom or baby, you know, like... It reminds me of that iceberg picture where you see like the iceberg ab- above the water, right? And then you zoom out a little bit and it's like all this ice underneath the water. Um, it reminds me exactly of kind of you talking about being on L&D. Like this is what forward facing kind of the public thinks it is and new nurses, new grads kind of think it is. And maybe other units think L&D is. But once you work on L&D, you realize like, oof. Big can of worms here. Big, big can of worms here. <laughs> Gonna need an extra large shovel for this one. <laughs> big can of worms here. Thank you for sharing all of that with us. That's it's it's insight and it's such a challenge inside of medicine where everyone is really in like at some point they were there to do right by other humans. And that is, those are some very serious examples of power dynamics and trauma and interpersonal relationships and what prioritizing education over patient care and bodily autonomy and safety. Man, that's not even my worst examples. That's so bad. Like, that's like not even the worst things that I've seen, you know? Like, it's so bad, like so bad. And I'm like, I can't believe like we're, we see these things. Like, and 
I know, I mean, I feel like this is like a torture warning episode um, for like everybody. Um, but I mean, the thing, I mean, we were talking about like, I had a patient, we had a patient in our unit who was a patient of rape. Like she was pregnant because of rape. And I was in the OR with the physicians working on another case and they were talking about her and they're like, oh, she has an epidural now. And another physician said, okay, great. So she loses the right to consent. Cervical exams. And I, that's not that's not how the law works. <laughs> the patient had on declining. She'd been declining her cervix reject. And I literally looked at all of them and I said, just because you have an epidural does not mean you lose the right to consent. I said, you never lose the right to consent. That's not a thing. And immediately they quit talking. And I was like, oh no, uh-uh. This is not, I am not the nurse for you to say this in front of. This is not the situation. So literally they had rolled the, the patient out of the OR. I had called my CTL and I said, I need you to get in here right now. I said, I'm about to get fired. I need you to come in this OR. And so she came in. I told her what had happened. She brought the nurse into the OR, who was the nurse's, the patient's nurse. And I explained to her what, what they had said. And so like literally... I said it was like that day it turned like at the nurse's station it was like you could feel the tension of like all these women like wanting to protect this girl like it was so much like i don't know if it was like hostility but like literally everybody was just sitting at the desk waiting to try to protect this girl like all of us were just like bring it on like you think this is going to be allowed you've messed with the wrong people and like, it was so, like, we were all so angry because you've got a patient who has went through the, a horrific experience and you're saying that she's lost, she's lost her consent one time and you want to take consent from her again and you think that's okay to say that, okay, well, you know, it's fine. She, we can take her consent away. And literally, they, the doctors came out the desk and the first thing the nurse said is, you're, we need to ask her permission before we do anything in that room. <laughs> And the doctors were like, oh, yeah, 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 we were going to ask consent. And she's like, oh, no, 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 you won't be asking consent. And it was just like, how, like, how do you think that's okay? Like, like, how do you think that's okay to say someone loses consent? Especially talking about someone who's saying they lose consent, who has lost consent. Right. Like, this person has lost consent. This person has went through already a traumatic experience. She's carried this baby this whole pregnancy. She's going to go through labor. Like, and you're going to take consent from her and you think that's okay to say? And you think that, oh, it's funny? And so I wrote that physician up and I told my chart, like I went to my manager and I was like, hey, this happened. I'm writing this physician up. Like, this is what happened. And my, my manager's words were, can't you just talk to him first and not write him up? And I was like, oh, no, 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 I've already written them up. I'm just letting you know what happened. Like, no, no, I'm not talking to this physician because they were in the OR. They know how I feel. And this isn't okay. And did anything happen? No, nothing happened. Nothing happened at all. You never heard back from anything or anybody. Nothing at all. Is that your role as a labor and delivery nurse? protecting your patients from random acts of 
unconsensual care? Depending on the days, I feel like I, like I said, sometimes like I feel sometimes like I'm a, like it's a like it's a battle. Like I'm literally like, and I'm trying like you know we all try to teach you know we're trying to teach like hey you need to ask consent but like literally every day I go in the room and the doctor's like all right we're gonna take your cervix now and I like go no are you okay if the physician checks your cervix okay we're gonna uncover you do you care is it okay if we uncover you like. And it's literally that, like, all day. So is this kind of, like, on-the-job training? Like, they haven't received this training? And so now, as the nurse, I'm I'm just, like, trying to tie it back to, um, you know, how, how this job affects you as a human. And, and I'm surprised, <laughs> not surprised, but kind of surprised I guess I can say I'm surprised to hear it in this context or at least we can talk about it openly in this context because it just seems like what is the nurse's role and why suddenly like why is there a battle against each other at the risk of the patient especially so I had a physician come up to me who it was her intern year. She'd been about six months. And she came up to me. She said, I just want to thank you for asking consent for patients. And I said, what do you mean? And she was like, you ask the patient's consent before, you know, you uncover them and things like that. And I said, well, you should. Like, that's something, you know, you, I said, we don't know the trauma these patients have went through. So we don't want to, we want to prevent any more trauma. And she said, thank you so much. She was like, I'm going to start bringing that into my own practice. She was like, because if I start now, it's something I will continue to do the rest of my career. And it was like, I wanted to like clap, like at that moment, like, yes, I got through somebody. <laughs> but it just shows like, they're just not taught that, you know, like, they're not taught to ask consent to like uncover a patient, you know? And so, but the physician was like, hey, I like, like, that is something that needs to be done. And I'm like, and I was ho- I'm hoping she like passed along, you know, like, hey guys, we need to be doing this. And I have seen more of the um, like interns, like that group, like asking more consent. And I'm hoping it's like, hey, they had a conversation, like we need to be doing this. And I'm hoping, you know, it's one of those things like you start at the bottom, hopefully we can work our way up and it'll get better. Cause then when they're chief residents, they'll be teaching, hey, you need to ask consent. Yeah. So it's hoping that if you start with one, you can work your way up to the rest of it. It just sounds like a lot of responsibility as the nurse. Like, you didn't have anything else to do, right? So you were like, oh, let me teach. It's just so much is put on you as the labor nurse without really a whole lot of uh, power and effect in any. Yeah, it's like, it's like I said, I'm like, I just, we don't, I mean, I could just go in and just do my job, but I'm like, would I be okay with that? Like, just going in and just doing my job, like, I'm not the kind of person that's okay with that. Right. I'm not the kind of person that's okay with just going in and doing it. Like, I want to make, you know, I want to make it a better environment for patients. I want to make it a better environment for all of us. Am I doing that? Do I have the resources? I'm trying, you know, but I can't, I'm not the kind of person that's just like, okay, let's just deal and see what happens. I'm too opinionated for that. (laughs) 
especially when it impacts everyone really negatively, right? I think one of the things that makes you a great nurse is that you are sensitive and you're able to pick up on the way that people feel and you're able to accommodate that, right? Um, That trauma-informed care is everything. And I know it feels so ironic that Doctors don't think you guys are super valuable, but all the things that they learn from nurses, right? Um, And if you just get to change one provider's course, I think you've done your job. So Flora, before we wrap up, one thing we like to do at the end of these conversations is leave our listeners who might be in a similar boat as, as you or our conversation that day with action steps. So if someone finds themselves witnessing really heinous acts of violence by the providers that they work under, where do you tell them to start? And what would you have hoped, you know, was done about this situation within your facility? I think, I mean, I always say, if you, like I tell newer nurses too, if you feel like you're comfortable talking to the physician, always talk to the physician and be like, you know, debrief. So that way, if you have a debrief, you can all sit down and talk about what could have been better, what could have been worse, you know, like what could have been fixed. Um, and then if you don't feel comfortable, like go to your charge nurse. I mean, if, again, if you trust them and be like, hey, this happened. What is a way we can fix it? Like, what can we, how can we resolve this? And just work it up. I mean, and sometimes, too, it's very frustrating because you feel like nothing's happening. But you can try. You know, who knows? You can always try. I know it's frustrating sometimes because it's like, I'm trying and I'm trying and trying and nothing gets done. But keep trying. Because, like, my, my husband always says, the day I quit caring and the day I quit tr- trying... I'm not gonna be I'm not myself anymore. You know? So yes, it's frustrating. And yes, sometimes you feel like you're banging your head against the wall, but keep trying, keep caring. I mean, because when you stop doing that, that's you're not yourself anymore. You know? So just work your way up the command and hope something changes. <laughs> that's hopeful. And hopeful. <laughs> why do you keep why do you keep staying there? Because you care? If I care. I love labor and delivery. I mean, the muck and the drama and everything else. I love it. And, those, and it's always, you know, you have those bad days, but then you get the letter in the mail from the patient talking about how you were the most wonderful person and you've made their life. So, you know, it's like, like I said, you've got to look at the good things. Sometimes you just have to look at the good things and remember those patients that you've changed their lives and you've made them have a wonderful birth experience and it's like, okay, I can keep doing this another day. I, it's always saying it's when you're about to quit that you get a letter in the mail thanking you for how good you did. <laughs> how does that happen? It's like they know. It's like Jeff Bezos is inside of the hospitals and they're like, oh, she gone. And then boom, <laughs> an ad pops up, you know? Keep on doing it. And remember, you need the paycheck. <laughs> I think it is. It's helpful to remember why you're doing it. You're right. And it's helpful to focus on the good. And then, um, like you said, like trying to make change where you can and keep doing, keep pushing, not being quiet about it. That's great advice. That's exactly how you make change. 
Oh my goodness. All right, Flora, thank you so much for being here with us today. We really appreciate it. You guys, if anything in this episode resonated with you or you found yourself saying same, reach out. We'd love to hear your story. We would love to highlight you as well and to help other nurses and providers and people in medicine understand that you deserve safe and equitable work situations and you deserve to feel like you are heard and seen at your workplace. We will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. We wanted to leave you with a quick stat and something to think about until we see you next time. According to a 2018 report from the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine, the prevalence of sexual harassment in academic medicine is almost double that of other science and engineering specialties. This presents a serious danger that ripples into patient safety, clinical outcomes, and burnout, which leads to costly loss of talent. How much safer could medicine be if nurses and physicians weren't also battling sexual harassment day in and day out? If you or anyone you know has a story to share, please contact us on Instagram at pulsecheck.podcast. We'd love to share your story.